I have one subject that we're going to talk about. I think it's one of the things we already believe that we're experts on, but I'm not sure that we're actually experts on it. It's like I thought I was a really great parent until I had children. (laughs) And then I realized at best, I am an average dad, which is okay, because that still means I'm better than half of you guys. That's what average means. It's like people that I have done premarital counseling with, they're like, yeah, 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 we got this. Like, they're experts on marriage until they get married. And then they'll listen to you. So I remember my favorite was this dude. He was just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. He gets married. Six months later, he comes back to me. He's like, bro, you got to help me. Something changed, man. Once we got married, she turned into her mother. Like, well, now we can talk. Right? Like, sometimes you just need to Get a little bit to know what you don't know. And I think the subject we have today is kind of like one of those, all right? So I'm going to read and see if you can figure out what the subject might be. So we're in 1 John 3, picking it up where we left off, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Any guesses what the subject might be? Sinning, right? Maybe an appropriate topic for Boatnik Weekend. Because I've been told some people might practice sinning on Boatnik Weekend. I don't know, just heard. So it's sinning. And we look out on the world that we live in and we can ask this question what in the world is wrong? We see mass shootings to this week. A mass stabbing in Florida that just boggles the mind. Violence and riots and race problems and hatred and identity politics and tribalism. And you just start, man, ah, right? So we can say, well, it's sin. And for a believer, here's what I think. I think as believers, we look a lot more at what sin does, but not actually what sin is. And there's a difference. It'd be like 
Looking at cancer, we know what cancer does. It causes tumors. But is a tumor cancer? No. There's a cause to cancer, underlying, right? If you don't get what's underlying, you come up with crazy solutions. And there are crazy solutions to cancer. So Deepak Chopra of Oprah fame, he has what he calls his anti-cancer psychotherapy. And in it, he says this, people that have cancer, the reason they have cancer is because they have a cancer personality. What a bummer, right? You take one of those personality tests, at the end of it, it's like, you have a cancer personality. Dang, man. Are you sure? Yep. So his solution, talk you out of having a cancer personality and you're healed, right? That's a fundamental mistake on what cancer is, right? Well, I think sometimes with sin, we can do the same thing. We look at what it does, but we don't really know what it is. And so then we have all these kind of weird ideas about what sin is. So right now, if you were to kind of ask different groups of people, hey, what's wrong in the world? What we'd call sin, but you could just say, okay, what's wrong in the world? You'd get a massively disparate kind of range of issues. So if you ask somebody that was enlightened, the enlightenment would say this, here's what's wrong in the world. Here's what sin is. Here's what's wrong. There's an electrochemical imbalance in your head that's causing you to do these things. So what's the cure then? A pill, right? Get this pill, it'll straighten out your electrochemical imbalance, right? If you were to ask an evolutionist, what's wrong in the world? They're gonna say, well, what's wrong in the world is this, any obstacle to human progress. What's the solution? Give it a billion years. Too bad for you. You won't see it, but in a billion years, we'll progress to the point that there's not these problems anymore. If you ask a psychologist or psychology, what's wrong with the world? What is sin? They're going to say, well, sin or what's wrong in the world is this. People have low self-esteem. And because of low self-esteem, they have repressed guilt and they have feelings that, that just cause them to think in patterns that are unhealthy. So the solution, learn to love yourself and replace bad thinking with good thinking. That's what you're supposed to do. If you talk to a human tolerance person, and you say, what's wrong in the world? They're gonna say it is actions and words that hurt other people. What's the solution? Shame you into silence. That's the solution. If you talk to the Green New Deal people that are you know, all about the environment, and you ask them, what is wrong in the world? What is sin? They would say, it's not valuing every living creature the same. It's not taking care of Mother Earth. So then what's the cure? Well, it's eco-regional, vegan, bike-riding, organic hemp farming. That is sinless perfection to them. Right? Right? If you talk to liberalism, like, like what is wrong in the world? They're going to say, there's no issue. People are good. The only issue is oppression. So the solution get rid of all oppressors. I mention all those, and here's why. I listen to lots of sermons from lots of people. And what I've heard is each one of those taught in some iteration in a church as sin. So those kind of ideas in our culture, they get put into a blender and kind of blended up and then poured out as a sin smoothie and served to us in church. So then we're still not knowing and understanding what sin actually is. 
because we have too much culture. So I always think, if I want to know something biblical, my first stop should be the Bible, right? So sin is a biblical concept. If I want to know what sin is, I should probably, first of all, say, what does the Bible say sin is? So that's what we're gonna try to do today. And I'm gonna do it two ways. Number one, I'm gonna go to an origin story of sin. It's the very first sin that you see after the fall. And then we'll talk about what John says about sin, and it's super enlightening, all right? So let's go first to Genesis 4, the very first sin that occurs after the fall. It's an amazing story. You guys have heard it well. You know it, all right? So Genesis 4, beginning in verse 4. And Yahweh had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And Yahweh said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, literally contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. You guys know this story. The very first two brothers, one brother murders the other brother. And it happens in church, right? They're both bringing an offering to God. They're in church, if you would. And this sin happens in church because one offering is accepted, Abel's, and the other offering, Cain's, is not accepted. So why isn't Cain's offering accepted? That's a big question. Here's my thought on it. So Cain's not a bad guy, right? He's in church. He's not a bad guy, but he's half-hearted, right? He's not a sex trafficker. He's not, um, because we actually get a sex trafficker at the end of this chapter. He's not adulterous, right? Here's what he is. He is half-heartedly coming to church with an offering to try to bribe God off so he can go back and live life the way he wants to live it. That's what he's doing. He's not doing like Abel who's coming, Romans chapter 12, verse one, offering himself wholly, completely to God as a living sacrifice. He's just trying to buy God off. Okay, God, just you know, get out of my hair. Um, you just, oh, okay. I don't want to really be involved in this thing. I'm coming because it's kind of my duty to you and I just want you to get out of my life. And what you see is God warns him, bro, buddy, the path you're on right now is dangerous. Look out, right? So here's what you find with the very first sin. I'll give you three things. Number one, and you, this is a phenomenal story. Number one, sin has an origin. So God calls it in verse seven, right? Sin is crouching at the door. There's no action yet. 
Cain has not done anything. He hasn't said anything. He hasn't, he completely internal right now. There is no external action. And God and him says, God and he knows it's right there. It's crouching, it's ready. So sin is not an action, is it? No, because there's been no action and God names it. It's right there waiting for you. Look out. Number two, sin has a power. God actually refers to it as a crouching beast, like a lion just waiting to pounce. It's crouching. It's waiting right there. It has a power of its own. I think Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 17, where he says this. Man, there's a power inside me. I can't figure it out. Because the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do do. It's a mess. Has anyone ever felt that power of sin? Like, what? I think Cain, after he slew his brother, stood in the field and was like, what just happened to me? What just took place? Because sin has its own power. And then lastly, sin has a big bang. It is a singular moment right? With a cosmic explosion. Every envy has a bang where it turns into anger and then anger turns into murder, right? Because sin always metastasizes. It's crouching, it pounces, and it metastasizes. Every grudge is a murder waiting for its big bang. Every lust is adultery waiting for a big bang. Every hatred is waiting for that moment where you can take it out. It's why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, I believe, from this story is saying, look it, sin is deeper than actions. And he was talking to people that really good at modifying their behavior. And he says, okay, so you haven't taken a baseball bat and beat the snot out of your neighbor. Bravo, good for you. But if you've hated him without a cause, you're a murderer. Brilliant, you haven't committed adultery. But if you're looking at every single woman on the road with lustful intent, guess what? You've committed adultery because every sin is waiting for its big bang. It's deeper than outward action. It's something much more, much more dangerous. It's what we see on our news feeds. It's the bang, the crouching beast, the power, the origin, we see that, all right? So incredible story just to think through. So John, I think, and Paul as well, bring up really Genesis 4 when they begin to talk about sin. So let's go back to John. Let's talk about what he says sin is because he gives us some really, really good insight on sin. So for a moment, I want you to think about what sin is. Is it sin to drive 26 miles per hour in a 25 mile per hour zone? No, no. It's illegal, but that's not sin, right? Is it a sin to drive 25 miles per hour in a 25 mile per hour zone at 7.45 in the morning and have a bunch of people stacked up behind you that normally do 40, 35 miles per hour and they're angry with you, but you're gonna make them slow down because they need to learn to slow down? (laughs) Is that a sin? Is that loving your neighbor as yourself? Because on the way to work that morning, you created 15 mass murderers 
right? Because they hate you, right? Think about those things. Can good people do bad things and bad people do good things? It's a drug dealer who's selling drugs to try to pay for his mom's stage four cancer doing something good. Is the Christian who won't take care of his mom doing something bad? Right? It's, it's more complicated than we try to make things out to. Can, can good things be sinful? So there's a book called Heavenly Man. It's about Brother Yun. He's a pastor in China. He pastors the underground church there. What he does is illegal because he preaches Jesus Christ. And he has been thrown in prison and he has been beaten and he has been starved to death. And he could stop all those things by simply denying Jesus Christ and let him go. And what he goes through and what you read about him, you're just like, man, this dude's amazing. He says the hardest temptation of his life was not the beatings or the starvation or the prison sentence. He said the hardest thing in his life was this. He got out of prison one time and he took his young son to school. And he sent his son off to school. And he said he watched his son thing and in ragged clothing because he's been in prison, can't work can't supply the needs of his family, sees him thin and in ragged clothing, come up to a group of boys that begin to bully him and make fun of him because he is the son of a dirty criminal. And he said, in that moment, he said, I faced the hardest temptation of my life because I knew I could take away my son's pain and take away his bullying by just a 30-second denial of Jesus Christ. And then I could be a good father to my son and a good husband to my wife. He said that was the hardest temptation. Temptation for a good thing. Sin isn't as simple as we think it is. It's more complicated. And so John here is trying to help us understand some things about sin. So I'm gonna give us three things that he says about sin. Number one, he says sin is lawlessness. It's the Greek word that literally means no Law. It's anarchy. It's Mad Max. It's might is right. It's that side. It's Antifa, right? Just we're going to do whatever we want to do to try to get our way. We see it today, this lawlessness. But it's actually more than that. There's actually a word for what's happening in our world today. It's called queering. Q U E E R I N G. Have you heard that word? It comes from queer theory. And if you're on a college campus today, if you just Google queer theory, every college campus will have studies in queer theory. And queer theory is real simple. It is against anything that is normal. So queering is taking what we would say is normal and good and trying to bend it and break it and pervert it by any means necessary. It's not just gender or sex. Queering now is as wide as anything. It's what you and I would say, that is good and biblical. They're going to try to queer it, bend it, break it, mess it up, right? So if you've had conversations, and I have had conversations with people that have been steeped in this, and they talk about this stuff, and you try to help them, they say, you are a heteronormative hater, and your words make me feel unsafe, right? Okay. All right, I'm out then, right? Because their whole goal is to take what is good 
and beautiful and right and biblical and to break it. So marriage isn't one man plus one woman. Marriage is whatever you think. Two plus two, two plus one, right? Because they're trying to queer what we would say, well, this is normal and this is good. This is what we're gonna have, right? So you and I would say, hey, we want to protect the lives of the unborn. I think that's a good thing. They're gonna say to you and me, you are anti-choice and anti-women. No, I love babies. And I think we're supposed to protect them. Nope, you're anti-choice and anti-women. That's what you are. If you say, well, I really believe marriage is one man and one woman for one life. They're gonna say, you are a patriarchal, binary, two-bathroom bigot. Okay. If I say, well, well, the reason why I think that is because the Bible tells me that, and I have decided to use the Bible as the guide to my life, and I believe it is inerrant in God's word. And they're gonna say, the only reason why you believe that is because you are steeped in white Western civilization. Which I always reply, did you know this was written by Middle Eastern people? Right? So whatever, it was written by Middle Eastern people. Right? But that's what they're going to say. Right? So then if you're like, well, you know, socialism, Marxism, I don't think they work. But even more than that, they are based on atheism. So I don't agree with it. They're going to say, well, you just hate people of color. That's why you don't agree with socialism and Marxism. No, I don't agree with it because it's atheism. Right? If you just say, all right, fine. Let's just agree to disagree. They're going to say, no, because you're a narcissist that's been blinded by his own privilege. Okay. That's called queering. It means this. You are not allowed to have a voice. We want lawlessness, and you don't have a voice against it. And what's amazing to me is this. Parents, (laughs) we've paid universities to do this to our children. If something needs to be queered, it's that right there. That needs to be changed. I would be very careful today. And I say this, as a dad with kids in college, be very careful where you send your kids. Because there's an agenda, and the agenda has been put into action, and we are seeing it. We have sown to the wind, and we're reaping the whirlwind. We're in the book of Judges right now. And what you see is this pattern. Pattern of, hey, Israel will sow sin, and there's always a season of maturing, and then there's a crop, and there's a sin storm at the end of every single sowing. Be careful. Sin is lawlessness. And we're seeing now that begin to become the norm of our culture. Number two, sinning is of the devil. Verse eight. So whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. It's a Genesis four beast. It's a Genesis three slithering serpent. It's the revelation dragon that wants destruction. It's the first Peter chapter five, roaring lion. And that being has one goal for you and me. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And the stakes are high and we see the repercussions every day. I think believers sometimes, we are blinded to the work of the devil very often and we have moments where we get woke up. I think we're like this. 
We're like the movie, The Three Amigos. If you've not seen it, you can watch it. I think it's a good movie. I haven't watched it for a long time. But The Three Amigos is about these three cowboys that have a show. It's in the early 1900s, you know, a black and white old school film. And it's them, they ride into a town, they save it from the bully, and everyone lives happily ever after until next Tuesday at eight o'clock, right? So they get fired from the show, it gets canceled, whatever. Well, there's this little city in Mexico that would get the, the barely like black and white channel or whatever it came in on, and they would watch the show and they believed it was real. Not a show, but this was news and these people are awesome. They had a real bully. So they call up the three amigos and invite them down to their town. Come save us from the bully. Well, the three amigos think, oh, it's another TV show. We're going down there to shoot again. All right, this is awesome. So they go down there and the bully shows up. So they get in their little song and dance, right? They go riding around and they're doing the whole thing. When one of the bad guys pulls out his gun and just shoots Dusty Bottoms. He's like, Tick! and then there's blood coming out. And there's this moment the light comes on and he says this. They're using real bullets. I think there's moments in a believer's life where you realize they're using real bullets. This isn't something to snicker at or laugh at. This is not a show. This is not to live happily ever after. This is they're using real bullets. That Ephesians 6.12 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and spiritual wickedness, that there is an army that's aligned against you, that life is not a playground. Life is a battleground. And there's stealing and killing and destruction that happens all the time. That that kingdom is really good at using money and power and intellect and education and entertainment to mess up the world that we live in. And it happens all the time. And I wish sometimes you guys could be in a counseling room with me when I hear the tears and the anguish from the destruction of the enemy, when the crouching beast has leapt on someone. I wish you could, because you know what? I don't think it's funny, and I don't think comedies on TV are funny when they laugh about adultery and fornication, because it's not funny to me, because it's a grenade that launches itself into families and destroys them, and the kids suffer the wounds of that shrapnel for the rest of their life. I don't think it's funny. I don't think we should be laughing at it. Because the enemy makes his work seem not so bad when we laugh, and then you get hit with a bullet. Oh, he's using real bullets. Yes, he is. It's of, it's of the devil. And then thirdly, sin stops love. Look at verse 10. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. There's only two kingdoms in this world. There's not a third kingdom. There's not a middle kingdom. There's either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. That's it. And you belong to one of those. So John says, here's how you know which kingdom you're in. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Sin stops love. Jesus was asked in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37, 
What's the greatest commandment? What does he say? Love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, all the law and the prophets, that giant part of your book called the Old Testament, all of that hangs on these two. Love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. He sums it up, right? Like the antithesis of sin is love. And if you love, you're gonna do all the stuff in the Old Testament naturally, normally. Well, how? Well, let's try to look at this. So there is a command in the Bible that's repeated more than any command in Scripture. Does anyone know what that is? Fear not, not, right? Don't be afraid, fear not. It's the most repeated command in the Bible. So if I loved God with all my heart and all my mind and all my strength, would I be able to fear not? Probably. But let me ask you this. Is anyone in here afraid of dying? I'm afraid of dying. I'll be honest with you. And I've read the Bible. I know the Bible pretty well. But still to me, the unknown, the unknowns out there and the, the strangeness of it, and you know, right? They're still in me like, oh, I don't know. Unknowns scare me. I like to know things. There's a lot of unknowns in that. So there's a little bit of fear, right? That all of us really live in the valley of the shadow of death their whole lives, like wondering, what is that going to be? How is that going to work? What's going to happen? Right? Is it real? We live in that shadow. And then the older you get, the darker the shadow becomes. We fear. But if I love God with all my heart and all my mind and all my strength, we're still fear it. Fear it. I don't know. Maybe it's like this. So many years ago, I was a missionary in Vanuatu which was just like one of the funnest things you can do as a single guy. So over there, um, I got to go spear fishing all the time. Like there's just fish everywhere. And they're like, they, they don't know you're going to spear them. So they like come really close to you and just go, tink. It's like, makes you feel like you're a great fisherman. You're like, hey, man, that was awesome. Fish is not afraid of me. This is fun, right? I went pig, uh, we went pig hunting. So um, I was given a sharpened stick and then told, hey, go out there. If you see a pig, stick him with that stick. So I'm like walking in the jungle. I see this pig. It is massive. I just threw my stick away, bro. <laughs> you, you go your way. I'm going this way. I am not going to try to poke you with a stick. They invented guns for a reason. That's the reason they invented a gun. Goodness, right? I got to go snorkeling and got scuba certified there, got to dive this World War II wreckage where you're on the decks of this ship and there are still helmets and guns left there from World War II. Like, it's just unbelievable, right? So just amazing place. Made really good friends with these guys. But here's the deal. The whole time I was there, I was engaged to be married to Charity, my wife, right? So there was many a day I would sit there and look across that blue ocean and think, 8,000 miles, I think I could swim it. Yep. All men's college for a year, yep, I'm about ready to swim home. So when the plane came and it was time to depart, I was sad. I was going to miss my friends, no doubt. I was going to miss this place that's unbelievable, totally. But you know what? I'm going home. I'm going home. The woman that I supremely 
love. And I told her, hey, when the plane lands, wear your dress and bring a pastor. Let's just get married. We'll turn right about and get on the plane and go. Okay, honeymoon. I think if we love God that way, that's the way we'd see death. We wouldn't fear it. Oh, it's going home. Yeah, this life has got good stuff, fun stuff, but oh, we're going home because perfect love casts out all fear. You're not gonna be afraid of it, right? If I love my neighbor as myself, how many problems would that solve? A lot. A lot of problems because neighbors can get you, can they not? But if you love them supremely, like you love yourself. Oh, how many problems would that solve? Right? My closest neighbor is my family, no doubt about it. And I'll have these dreams of an idyllic evening where I want to come home and have like an evening of reading or talking to my wife or just enjoying myself. You know what is really destructive to idyllic evenings? Children are. They destroy idyllic evenings with their screaming and their, you know, being children, Right? So I can get angry at that, but what am I actually getting angry at? The loss of my idyllic evening because I love myself supremely. If I love my kids and said, well, I want them to have an idyllic evening, it'd be a very different way that I could go home. Right? You can go on and on with this. Right? Community, you just name it. Like, like, this is it to me. How much teen drama happens because teens don't love each other? How much clawing and trying to get to the top of the heap and gossip and terrible things and bullying happen in teens because they don't love each other? Ton of it. Moms loving drugs more than the baby that's in their womb, right? Men loving their own pleasure more than the hearts of ladies. How much pain has come from that, right? Like, this is it. This is it. Love stops, excuse me, sin stops love. That's just kind of a bummer message. Yeah, sin is a bummer. I hope it's a bummer message. Okay, then Matt, what are we supposed to do about sin? Nothing. You can do nothing about sin. Let's pray and let's go. Listen to what John says. Verse five, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins. Verse six, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Verse eight, the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Who takes care of sin? You or Jesus? The Bible makes it really clear that you and I, we can't take care of sin. We can't. It's why Paul says in Romans 7, right? The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do do. But he finishes that chapter by saying this. I thank God that through Jesus Christ, my Lord. And then you get chapter 8, victory. Yeah, you and I can't but Jesus has. That's why interwoven in this text is this abide in him. If God abides in here, you're not going to sin. Why? Because as a believer, here's what's happened to you. We talked about it last week. You've been pickled, meaning this, Ezekiel 36. You've been given a new heart 
and new spirit. You're a different kind of human that fundamentally something has changed in you. And the mistake we make is this, as believers, we think, you know what? If I was just more disciplined, I wouldn't sin. Really? You're going to be more disciplined than the Old Testament? 613 do's and don'ts. Is your list of disciplines 614 items long? No way. We can't handle that. Best-selling books are written as 12 disciplines of life because that's all we can handle. No, it's not discipline. Or we think, if I just had a really good guru to follow. Really? Jesus had 12 disciples. How'd they do? It's hard to read a page of the Gospels without one of them failing. Well, I'll just make promises. Really? Never, ever negotiate with God. He has nothing you want, and what he asks for is more than you could ever give. You don't negotiate with him. You and I need to know this. Sin has been broken in the life of the believer by the works of Jesus, period. Well, then what's wrong with me? Why do I keep sinning then? Here's why. Here's how we shipwreck ourselves. We, and our enemy is so good at this, we choose cheap thrills over deep joy. We choose cheap thrills over deep joy. And the enemy is perfected in the life of the believer, getting us to choose a quick, cheap thrill over the deep joy that God has for us. I'll give you some examples. Number one, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, new heart, new spirit, broken the power of sin in your life, then guess what? Your deepest desire is for an intimacy with some of the other sex, a lifelong commitment to them. But you know what? That takes a lot of work. Marriage takes a lot of work? Takes a lot of work. To get the deep joy, takes a lot of work. So here's what the enemy can say. You can get a cheap thrill that's really fast right now. Turn your computer on, turn your phone on, turn your TV on, right? Cheap thrill. Pornography. And I have talked to, I'm gonna guess, 100 men on this. And I always ask them, the first question I ask them is this. Does it make you happy? I have not had one in a hundred say, yeah, that made me happy. Every one of them is, no, I feel guilty. I feel remorse. And every study is showing porn leads to depression and anxiety and self-harm and suicide at times. So the enemy tricks us. Cheap thrill. But what you really want is the deep joy. With the Old Testament, it's the term dode. It's literally the intermingling of souls. The two become one. Brilliant, beautiful, lifelong, incredible, growing relationship. That's what you actually want. But the enemy tricks you into trading God's gift for a gold-plated turd. And that's what it is. And it happens all the time, sadly. Or you and I want community. It's not good for man to dwell alone. We want to be known by people, and we want to know people. It's built into us. But here's the enemy says, oh, you can have that cheaper than really digging in and having actual hard conversations with people and growing and having forgiveness and all that stuff that goes in a relationship. You can have it cheap. How? Go to the bar, have a couple of beers with some people. Because guess what? You never talk about deep things there. You have the same conversation. It's just recycled every two weeks. Groundhog's Day. 
instead of the deep, good thing that God wants for you. So the enemy tricks us all the time with cheap thrills. Hey, we want to be good parents. Being a good parent is hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Nothing harder than being a parent. It's very easy to be like, I just want to buy them off with TV time or this thing or that thing instead of actually investing in their souls and investing in their life. And we're tricked. And we miss out, miss out on deep joy. So how do you break this cycle? I can go on and on and on. I don't have time. How do you break it? Here's what I am. It's the way I look at the whole Bible. I am a new covenant Christian, which means this. When you become a believer, Ezekiel 36, you become a different kind of person. He has broken your bondage to sin. He's given you a new desire plant called the heart and a new power source called his spirit. So here's what you do. When you're tempted to sin, and I'm done, when you're tempted to sin, you stop. You think about what will bring you deep joy. You pray. You get counsel, community, and then you choose what will make you most happy, and most of the time, you choose well. That's how you break the cycle of sin. He wants to get you all flustered and, and quick and cheap thrill, and, it's, and it's, you gotta stop. Think. Maybe phone a friend. Bro, I'm struggling with this right now. I'm, help me. Pray and choose what will make you deeply joyful, and you skip over the shipwreck of sin. That's how we do it. It's really that simple to me. It's one of the reasons why every Sunday we come to the table because we need to be reminded you're in. You're at the Lord's table. Sin has been broken. You're part of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of goodness. That's what you are. Drink and eat of power to choose deep joy over the cheap thrills that steal and kill and destroy you. So that's what we get to do today. So if you have the elements, grab them. We'll pray over them and take them together. Father, we hold what the Bible calls the undescribable gift. You gave us your best so we can trust you with the rest. I pray for those of us in here who have a sin that's owning us today. I pray that we would be able by the power of your spirit to recognize what has already happened inside of us. That we are sons and daughters of the king. We are children of God. We've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's who we are. That we can choose deep joy today. I pray that we would eat of that power, eat of that knowledge, that you would make it a reality in us, that it wouldn't be words that are said, but a way of life that is lived. Let's eat together. And we hold the cup of forgiveness, the cup of acceptance, the cup of the coming kingdom, the cup of 
joy, indescribable. That the best of this life is a sneak preview of what you have for us. That we are forgiven saints of the King. That's our identity. I pray that every one of us would experience the indescribable joy of forgiveness. That though our sins were like scarlet, they have been past tense to every believer in you been made white as snow. That we are robed in your righteousness. That old things have passed away and all things have become new. May we drink deeply of your grace and mercy and forgiveness. Let's drink together. Amen. So we have prayer. We'll sing one song. Then up here will be some people that will offer an opportunity to be prayed for. If you need prayer, it doesn't matter what it is. Stress, worry, health, finances, besetting sin, come get prayer. We offer baptism. What a great day to be baptized. Memorial weekend. When we remember those who gave the ultimate offering for our freedom. That's what baptism celebrates. Jesus who gave the ultimate offering, his life, so you might be set free. What a great day to be baptized. If you want to be baptized, come right up here. We'll pray for you and baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. If you're doing well, go enjoy a big barbecue. Would you stand for one final song?